Caroline Jackson, welcome to the Thinking Deeper podcast. Thank you. We are in this unbelievable Bruntwood building here that's a 1920s themed podcast studio. So I'm hoping it's bringing some nice vibe for yeah, our yeah, yeah. for lovely. our session today. Um, I'm going to start off by saying that you are a serial entrepreneur extraordinaire. Would Ooh. that be about right? Yeah, I'm not sure about the extraordinaire bit. Some days <laughs> I don't feel that. But yeah, I've just always, always been kind of doing stuff yeah. that's entrepreneurial. And it, I love it. And it's very much intrinsic to who and what I am and how I function. And where did that where did that kind of fire come from? Not the beginning of a clue. Um, I genuinely don't know. I don't come from a business family. My parents were, you know, my mum was a dinner lady. My dad was a wage slave kind of thing, a clerk, cubicle dweller. Um, my brother and sister, not not business people. Um, but from a super early age, I was, um, <laughs> I persuaded my mum that I was doing a sponsored walk. So we had like a block around our house with a road behind it. And she said, fine, I'll pay you two pence around. Who are you going to give the money to? And I said, looked at and went me <laughs> charity begins at home yeah exactly you know yeah. I, need, I needed sweet money but no I've always been kind of trying to start things and um long before the internet because yes I am that old um mm. we I started a chocolate delivery business impossible absolutely impossible nowadays you can do it you know with a few clicks of a, yeah. of a of a mouse kind of thing but no it was literally slogging going around all the hotels and saying we can deliver chocolates we can do bedtime chocolates and importing them from Belgium and stuff I've no idea I've had no training I've got I had no business management um, education just it's just inside me just want to do it and how long did that kind of fire in your belly stay how did you feed it because clearly you're saying you don't come from that family, so mm. the support network really wasn't there. No. So what? <laughs> what? Tell me. Talk me through that that time period. Um, how did you keep yourself motivated? Um, I was very when I was doing like the chocolate and champagne, like you could have a, as you do with uh, other brands. You could go, you could buy a bottle of champagne and chocolates, whatever. I don't know. I just so badly wanted it to succeed. Um, and yes, I was doing it on my own. My dad had just retired, as I recall, and he would try and help me out by delivering stuff for me. But, you know, a kind of like a retiree in his ancient um, his ancient Ford driving around places. And I didn't have, the, I hadn't got it sorted properly, but I just wanted it so badly to succeed and just kept going until I couldn't keep it going. And I had to go and back to kind of like wage slavery and get a proper job, really. <laughs> but it was just, it's just, I wanted to do it. I have, I'm a good ideas person and some of them are stupid and some of them are good. And nowadays I've got people around me who I know and trust deeply, not only my husband, but I've got a couple of friends who I've met through business, but have become really strong, reliable, trustworthy friends. And I can bounce ideas off them and they'll always, as I would with them, say, it's nonsense, don't talk rubbish, or hmm, what about doing it like this? So that's changed. But when I was in my 20s, I'd not, I didn't have anything like that at all. So... And so you kind of continued your work um, as a consultant? Um, yeah, well, I, I, I was in, I kind of dipped in and out. So I, when I left school, I got a job as a management trainee with Marks and Spencers in shop. Um, and I'd previously been a paper girl because I needed money. So on my 13th birthday, when I was allowed to, it was straight down the shop. I want a paper round, which I did religiously. Um, then got a job in the shop as the Saturday girl when the next one, the previous one left. Yeah. Loved that. It was a really old-fashioned sweet shop with um, the bars of chocolate and the jars behind you. And I just absolutely loved that. Um, 
left school, got a job with M&S um, on this kind of fantastic junior management trainee programme. I was 16. Yeah. I lasted six months because I just hated it. Um, M&S is a great company to work for. But as a 16-year-old, I, I really should have kind of said to mum on the day we were starting, actually, mum, I should go back to school and get my A-levels. But that wasn't a conversation that occurred. And I lasted six months knowing that I wanted to be a buyer. Right. And nobody at school, I went to a typical North London grotty comprehensive, um, typical, you, if you're in the bottom stream, which I wasn't, may I add, <laughs> if you're in the bottom stream, you get a job in the shop, if you're in the middle stream, you should be a secretary, if you're in the top stream, you should work in a yeah. bank. I'd like to be a buyer or a journalist, please. I'm actually Specifically. Specifically. Mm-hmm. No, no, we don't, people from Edmonton don't don't do that and my parents had no experience they they were war babies my dad had done national service and then provide got you know standard jobs to provide for his wife and family they had no experience they I don't although I've got older siblings I don't think they even knew uni really existed Mm. was that a self-belief then that you had that you were so certain you were either going to go down the route of being a buyer or or a journalist how do you keep that kind of you know there's people telling you you can't do that everybody's telling you you can't do that. The government system tells you you can't do that. The education system tells you you can't do that. The patriarchy so much... tells you you can't do that as well. But yeah. So how did you then, because you became a buyer and yeah. you worked with some unbelievable brands. Yeah, yeah. Tell Just me. wanted it. Um, I will talk about manifesting. I wouldn't have known that word then. Mm. I just wanted it. And... I got into buying through a circuitous route because I was had a job in an accounts office, which as you might imagine didn't suit me at all. No. But a very junior, you know, 17 as a junior. And I went to an employment agency in Oxford Circus and they said, we've got two jobs for you that, you know, we can, we can put you forward for. One is working in corporate trading in a bank. And nice. the other, we would have been good sort of financially during the sort of 80s and 90s, I think. But um, Or we can put you forward for a, um, a buyer's clerk job at Topshop over the road. And I, I'll go I'll for Topshop. <laughs> I did go for the bank interview, to be fair, but yeah. Topshop offered before the bank did. Um, and, yeah, I kind of walked in on the first day. And it was luck that I got there. I wasn't doing the kind of traditional thing of writing to Topshop and saying, have you got any jobs? Because I didn't know how. I had no mechanism to access that. Mm. So, yes, a little bit of luck. Um, But I walked in and literally sat down and thought, I'm home. Yeah, wow. And you were there for how long? Oh. uh, Or within that kind of industry? Yeah, I was in in retail buying for probably seven years. Worked from literally the office junior to a buyer and then um, I had a short stint as a director but my life changed and I thought yeah no I'm going to go into less bitchy evil business <laughs> <laughs> which is most industries by yeah, the way. It's most, yeah exactly but no in, in those days with it I mean I can top shop's gone now but the the culture was very 80s very um you get in early and you stay super late and I remember my dad had his retirement party and he had a, they, uh, Mullard, who he worked with uh, for, had put on a very, very posh hotel, just sort of in Bond Street, whatever. And I actually remember, I was an assistant buyer at the time, so not the lowest of the low. Mm. I turned around to my boss and said, my dad's retirement due starts at half past five. And she went, well, are you asking if you can leave early? Okay. And it was 
very like it's alien. Yeah, it's alien, and, and you whereas know, it, now we've got millennials that want to leave five thirty yeah, on the exa- job. Yeah, exactly, and they've they got were, better work life balance. And I don't think they have the not. I don't, don't mean the commitment, but I don't think they. I mean, it was competitive who could stay latest. Wow. And I mean, I lived sort of, you know, an hour away by tube or whatever. Um, and it was, it was a competition. Like, oh, oh, are you going? Oh, have a nice early evening. And yeah. it's like... Feel the guilt, why don't nuts, you? Nuts. Yeah. Absolutely insane. And that was, not that I'm not a hard worker. I've always been a flipping grafter. Mm. But that was just exhausting. You know, and you're being asked to make kind of hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of buying decisions when you've just done a 70-hour week. And, you know... Pressure's on, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't, you know, it was just, it just burnt me out, really, to be honest. And I got an opportunity to to kind of switch from being a retail buyer to actually flipping that on its head and becoming a procurement analyst, which sounds really dull, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Enormous great fun. I absolutely adored being a procurement analyst because I'm not mathematical. I'm very much your humanities girl, but... I love a bit of data. <laughs> Absolutely love data. Wow. I really do. Was it the burnout that kind of was the tipping point for you to want to change direction? Um, yes. And I had, I was still living at home at the time and I had my parents wondering why I was coming home, falling into bed, getting up and falling into work again. And they were, you know, they had concern for me because it's not healthy. Mm. And and I'm not saying I was the only one doing it, but it's not a healthy way to live, you know. Um, and I like opportunity. I like new and shiny. And I think that's probably the, the secret of my, my entrepreneurship because I, I, I'm not, I would never class myself as a completer finisher, mm. but I'm very much like, I, I like ideas, being in at the, the start, the ideas, the creativity and that kind of and thing. And you need that, don't you? You need the passion and the drive initially. Oh, don't, to, yeah, don't do it something. if you don't care, if you're not bothered. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you talked about how you met now, you know, you've met some incredible people that are mm. almost part of your team that are yeah, go-to for yeah, when you yeah, need yeah. to weigh up new ideas. Um, there was a time you didn't have that. Mm. Um, and you made a few decisions within your business um, that didn't quite go the way that yeah. um, you expected. Can you talk me about that a little bit? I think, yes, but yes, that I didn't have any support network around me being, you know, that's really important. But also I think I was too young and probably arrogant and thought I knew it all, which I have a 21-year-old son who also suffers from that. Um, <laughs> but I think I didn't know about, um, for example, the chocolate business. I didn't know about food safety. And I didn't know why. I didn't know about packaging. And I didn't have the resources to reach out and think, oh, I should speak to someone about that. Mm-hmm. Because the world without the internet it's was very a small. very much smaller place. Yeah. I lived in a, you know, a small uh, urban conurbation in North London and I'm trying to kind of, I suppose... And you're a visionary. Yeah, I'm a visionary, and it <laughs> yeah. didn't really kind of work like that. And, yeah. and I think, it's funny, I was thinking about this earlier, that you get a lot of people who are solopreneurs, and they have, like, one passion, one idea. But because of technology, they have the capacity to deliver to the world on the same stage as, well, let's take the chocolate example, Thornton's Hotel Chocolat. They've got that capacity. And I think that's brilliant. I love the democracy of the internet. Mm. I think it enables people to show up with 
their personal brand, whether it is just, I don't know, making dog biscuits or whether they go on to become um, like those guys who uh, made the flip flops after their parents died in the tsunami in Sri Lanka. And they started small and they scaled. Mm. And I think nowadays, if I could, if I could lop, I don't know, 35 years off or whatever and have the internet, I, th- I, genuinely think I would be one of those people who like unicorn scaled mm-hmm. I didn't have the opportunity and that's not an excuse it's just an observation yeah you had the vision but yeah. just not the tools at the yeah, time exactly. so you exactly. were way ahead of the game I before so. all of us yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well interestingly if I can just give you an anecdote yeah when we worked in when I worked in Topshop and I was climbing up the ladder in the corner they had a PC and no one had them at home and things like that. There were no mobile phones and stuff. And I am showing my age. I went over one day because I've always been obsessed with buttons and knobs and sliders and that. Turned the PC on and there was a program called SuperCalc, which is a forerunner to Excel. All right. Worked pretty much the same. And Excel's a lot more slick and better now. And many of the legions of people working in Topshop and all of the branches of the Burton Group, on a Monday morning, we got the sales through. And they got their pencils, their rubbers, their calculators, and they rubbed it all out, the, 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 the year's figures, and put the actuals in and then redid the forecasting. And I thought, this is a bit nuts. So I went on to SuperCalc and I took a, what was called a WSSI, a piece of paper, put the numbers in and then did the calculator, because I knew, because I'd worked through that. I've just done that in like five minutes. Went over to one of the directors and said, can I just show you something? Because I didn't realise I was doing people out of work, potentially, but that wasn't, you know, I was just excited. And they turned around and said, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if seriously, if one of the boys, there were two, Hugh and someone else, were male buyers, and one's a merchandiser, one's a buyer, we'll check it with them. Wow. And that was kind of, for me, uh, yeah, I was nowhere near as stridently feminist then as I am now because (laughs) you're in a culture where, you know, it's dog eat dog and you're just focused on what you want to achieve. But things like that, that other people will have discovered as well, they would have revolutionised business much quicker, Mm. you know, and uh, it just peeves me. (laughs) (laughs) All in hindsight, Yeah, exactly, ain't it beautiful? <laughs> um, one of the things that you're kind of recognised and applauded for is, is changing your direction at mm. the age of 40. Mm. You decided to go back to university and study. Yeah. yeah. What made you kind of make that decision? Because again, not to bring your age into the equation, but it's it wasn't really a dumb thing, was it? No. To, to start... There was two of us on my course who were mature students, mm. i.e. 21 plus, and, you know. Um, well, that's... I didn't, let, I'll rewind that. I didn't know I had it, I was clever. I didn't know I was clever till I went into procurement analysis and suddenly thought, yes, I can do this. And I was being, I suppose, listened to and my opinions counted. And I suddenly thought, you know, I am actually quite bright. <laughs> and so that was that was about sort of 28-ish, as I recall. And then um, I was very aware that none of... My, me and my family have been to university. As I said, when I was the youngest of three, I don't think my parents really thought it was even possible. And that was when uni was free. Mm-hmm. So that none of us went. 
my mum and dad, I think, thought that my sister and I, my oldest sibling's my brother, and he went off and had a proper job. I th- firmly believe that my parents, who I love dearly, um, believe that Hillary, my sister and I, should just get a little job until we got married and had children. Yeah. And neither of us did that. Very different paths, very different personalities. Have you any chance with you? No, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> There's a really scary parallel going oh, on Oh, OK, here. all right, yeah. yeah. Um, and then when I got to... Um, when I got to 33, I had my son and I juggled. I was with a, let's just say, a difficult partner who contributed nothing to my life. Um, so I was juggling working as an IT consultant with in a small holding in Lincolnshire, which my then partner had said, be a great idea. Um, never ask a woman who's just had a baby to make any huge life decisions because that's just <laughs> wrong. I think it should be a law against it. But anyway, so we were living in a small holding in Lincolnshire because he had this idea. He, he was a Londoner too. He lasted mm, 12 months and then went, can't take this, see ya. Left me with a very small child, like two and a half year old. I had to get au pairs in. I was my only source of income. So I'm travelling from the wilds of Lincolnshire to Cambridge, Birmingham, London daily with au pairs, which was not ideal. I didn't no. see my son grow And probably up. very expensive. Super expensive. Mm. Yeah, just ridiculous. But I had to survive. I had no option. Um, and then I met my husband, my now husband. And he is an amazing man. He's just... I'm so lucky because he's really supportive. He's an entrepreneur, a very successful entrepreneur. Um, And when we got together, he was kind of, why are you doing this? Well, because I need to, no, stop. Let's have a think about this. You've got a child who's looked after by au pairs nursery. He's starting school. You hardly know him. And this is absolutely true. And it's forever my shame. But Charlie and I have a great relationship now. We really get on well. Um, And Andrew said... You have always said to me that you think you're clever and you need to prove it. So what do you want to do about it? We got married and we were on holiday, on honeymoon, and I suddenly said, I want to do an English degree because I know I can write. Nice. So it suited me that it was Lincoln because I could do the Charlie at school, pick him up, uni was close, whatever. Um, And I did my degree in English Lit, got a 2-1, which I was very proud of, got a radio play published on Radio 4. Wow. Um, and then I um, went, we moved to Nottingham and um, went to De Montfort and did a Master's in Creative Technology. Yay me. <laughs> and I loved it. I would actually would love to go back to university. Absolutely really? love it. But I'm quite busy. Would you go back <laughs> and lecture, do you think? No, I, I mean, I've only, I've only got learn. a master's. I'd like to do a PhD or I'd just like to do another master's in creative writing. But, you know, that's that's somewhere on the on the list because you've got Manchester School of Writing and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm hopeful that they'd, you know, accept my work. You don't know, do you? But, um, yeah, just a bit tied up at the moment really <laughs> I mean I love to hear your story because it, it, it's incredible to think that you have this resilience you've got a vision of what you're doing sometimes mm. you're not quite on the path that no. you probably know you should be on but um you almost ride the wave a little bit what yeah. kind of advice would you give to anyone that is procrastinating or in this reactive kind of mode of just doing things because pretty much like you were, Mm. you know, you were just doing things because at the time you just needed to do them until the amazing husband came into your life. Um, And I'm not sure everybody's going to be that lucky. No, 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 and he's mine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, hands off. Um, What would you tell that person that might be thinking about that right now, knowing that they are almost stuck in a rut 
um, and they believe they they deserve more and are worth more and, and definitely can get more. Mm. Well, firstly, I'd say to take some time somewhere away from distractions of technology and do this regularly for kind of 10, 15 minutes. Think about who you actually are your real person, not the person. And it's quite difficult to get to, and it takes a bit of practice. Um, but to find out, because if you know who you truly are, you'll know what your passion really is. And if you're not passionate and you don't live and breathe it, don't do it because you don't. You're not gonna. You're not gonna survive it. And you're never gonna give a hundred percent. No, because you? you're not interested. Yeah. I mean, you're not not interested, but you're not as. My life won't kind of continue if I don't get to make dog biscuits or, mm. you know, whatever. And I've got that experience because I've, I bought my initial e-com business, Little Women, which is a long-established brand, but and I love it because I love retail and I absolutely adore e-commerce because it ticks all my boxes. And again, I have got a tiny, tiny team who, you know, do help, help run the business, but I know that with, with I can make a change really quickly and we can pivot and whatever but I'm getting involved in a new a new strand to e-com that isn't about laundry it's about food I'm a trained pastry chef and as I, well yeah <laughs> for fun yeah. um and I just know that you know it's that we've got difficulties with laundry supply chain la 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 and I'm kind of feeling that the, the upswell of, yeah, let's do this. And what I'm trying to say to someone who's perhaps still in the day job or nervous or whatever, understand who you really are and think about that a lot. Um, try and connect with what your passion really is. Um, and I would say to someone in a day job, try and see how much you can do outside of that without affecting your income because obviously that's super important it's usually um, the driving force isn't it for yeah, most people to not change absolutely but yeah. you can change because if it's your passion you'll find the energy yeah you'll find the energy to do it we've just on the thinking deeper um instagram started a 31 day mindfulness challenge brilliant and it is exactly aimed at that yep. it's allowing people to find everyday tools to stop and think about what they're doing yep and it could be something really simple like mindful brushing of your teeth no definitely to uh finding touch points in the day to just remind yourself of why you're doing what you're doing yeah where you are whilst you're doing it and do you really want to be doing it yeah absolutely um, and it's incredible to see how many people are actually on this journey Brilliant. with me and they're, they're loving it because i think we're, we're kind of losing sight of finding that anchor that actually works for us mm, because we're so definitely. distracted by yeah. everything else whether that's social media or, or um, anything, any excuse of, of blaming yes. an external force of some sort. Exactly. It's kind of bringing you back to reconnecting with mm. yourself. Um, you've just mentioned your amazing brand of little women. Um, tell me what the motivation is behind that, because I know that's a, it's, a, it's really close to your heart, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, very much so. So I, I, I'll admit I bought the business and the brand because I was looking for an opportunity and we looked at the kind of numbers from the lady who was selling it and she'd been running it as a very much a lifestyle business. She had a woman who did everything and she went off to the gym and, you know, did a bit of buying every now and then. That's not a criticism. If that's what works for you, yeah, then that's absolutely fine. So we bought it and um, Andrew and I both were looking at the numbers and thinking, hang on a minute, you know, for a brand, it's very niche, which is another thing I warn so someone about. it's a triple about. A cup well, it's triple bra. A, double A, A yep. cup bras. Mm -hmm. Our own brand is designed for ladies. So you have ladies with small boobs who 
have been wearing training bras for 30 years. And we've actually had, and I'm so proud and grateful, we've genuinely had ladies crying with happiness on the phone because a lady, a mature lady with small boobs needs long straps because a teenager's boobs, so we're allowed to talk about this, are higher up. Okay, so... They go, ladies with, with very small breast, a small amount of breast tissue will go to M&S and they'll say, no, we don't do a double A or a treble A, so try this training bar. And they're just ridiculously uncomfortable and they're not, um, they're not feminine. So we do matching briefs and bras in really pretty colours and lace. And, and they different are very design. sexy, actually. Yeah, yeah look, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really nice. And we, the, the ladies that I sell to, for the most part, just turn around and say thank you. Mm. And it's very interesting because we get, when I talk to other ladies who aren't, you know, blessed with small boobs, they turn and go, oh, my goodness, who needs a treble A cut? What do they need a bra for? And then I turn around and say, how would you feel if you didn't have pretty underwear on, that you are pretty mainstream and you can go and buy it anywhere? How would you feel if someone told you to wear a bra that was uncomfortable, didn't fit you, mm. and that was the only choice you had? And it does make people stop and think mm. because it's a lot about not only about the physical act of underwear, but there's modesty. There's also, I don't know about you, Deepa, but when I put matching bra and knickers on, it's like, I can do it's anything. It's it? I think there was yeah. a time where people used to say, oh, you need to wear it in case you ever... Get run over got... by a bus. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'd like to say we've moved on far from there and we do it for ourselves now and yeah. because we feel empowered yeah. and we feel good within ourselves. Exactly. So I, I totally get that and I think it's amazing what you're doing. Yeah. Um, how has that changed whilst kind of more... Um, let's say breast augmentation has come into play, um, body imaging has changed, mm. the curvy figures have come in, you know, as, as more popular choices now. People are injecting lots of this and that to, you know, how has that kind of affected your business or has it even? I, d- I don't think it has because that's... Because you went to China. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. But, the, these, no, but these things are all constructs, aren't they? Who mm. says you have to be skin or, skinny or fat or curvy or not? Mm. And... We get people who come to us, and I'll name check here, Michelle Visage had a breast deconstruction and she got a box of bras from us and loves them. Mm. But I think that people who have, we have ladies who've had mastectomies, we've had ladies who've just never had, the, you know, they're naturally sort of slender or whatever. And for the most part, when people find my brand, they stick like glue to it. Mm. I'm very vocal, <laughs> don't get me wrong because they know how to run my business bless them but they found something and and so ladies who kind of jump up and down say well, what about big brands what about, uh, big big bra sizes what about this that and the other it's you're very well catered for I can't I yeah. can't dispute this yeah. but if I'm literally I think the only person in the world selling a treble a I think that those are the ladies, the small cup customers. They're the ones who actually need the the. the it's the not love. a bad thing that they're asking you. It means that no. they've seen something that they like that they clearly can't find in the yeah, mainstream market. Exactly. Which, exactly. Yeah. So that's really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we we our motto, our company motto is that everybody's beautiful. Mm. It doesn't matter whether you're you know tiny or enormous. You're gorgeous and you've got a purpose. And if wearing finding the right underwear gives you that kind of, yes, I can do this, then our job is done, as is all the other laundry retailers' job. I mean, it's it's so nice to see that you, you know, this messaging is so pure mm. and comes from the heart and mm. is there for women. 
Um, and it's such a shame to see that online body shaming still takes place. Body imaging is still an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, how will you change that? Because I feel like you're going to do something to at least help change the direction of that. How would I change it? Well, I think... I, I, I don't know, I've wanted to be taken on the patriarchy for quite a long time and that's what this is founded <laughs> do it, in. Do it. Yeah, exactly. I had a dream. I had a dream about a year ago and I woke up and I'd fixed it and I forgot. But the minute I wake it up, I don't do that well-disciplined thing and keep a pen and paper. It's a message from the universe. Boom. Um, but yeah, false body imaging, I don't know. I have a son. Um, I wouldn't want a daughter. I would love a daughter. I'd like to take her shopping, so anyone wants to apply. But no, um, I when I look at the pressure on young women, um, I think that's probably untenable. It's scary, isn't it's it? It's terrifying. Yeah. I had a friend whose daughter was at the girls' school that was the, the opposite equivalent of my son's school, and they're all high achievers, they work hard, they're all you know, A-star students. And we were chatting one day. I said, oh, how's your, how's your, how's your daughter? I don't know, she's not in a great place. Yeah. Uh, she's got everything, you know, wealthy family, uh, great mm-hmm. school, all the sport. Well, what her what her year are doing now is they don't worry about what grades they get. They worry about how much and they, they look, eat. And yes, yeah. And who's got the most bulimia and anorexia. And it just like, oh, my word, just horrific. And that translates into growing, obviously, through teenage and looking kind of, oh, I'm not this, I'm not that, I haven't got this or I've got that. There's nothing kind of like, look at me, I'm gorgeous. You know, Mm. I'm actually, I've got, my hair looks great or I've got beautiful green eyes or, you know, I'm a friend, Mm. I'm, I'm helpful, I'm clever, whatever. It's, it's so wrong. And I don't know, I I think um, there's a lot that could be done Particularly for women, I'm not saying that guys don't have the issues. I, you know, that's that's stupid to say so. But I think that kind of, you know, each generation of women should be turning round and making more of a, a kind of a vocal noise yes. about stop doing this to girls. A conscious stand, yeah. really. Yeah, and I yeah. think I think a lot of it is as well. You're not sure what your kids are being exposed to no. at school until you hear it at home, yeah. maybe over the dinner table. Exactly. But it is scary because. They are listening to what's coming from their peers, which yeah. to them is a lot more credible of course. than what their parents might yeah, be yeah. saying and what yeah. do they know? <laughs> exactly. Well, yes, <laughs> you know, what so. do they know? But what about also you think about the young people who perhaps don't have a particularly supportive family life? Mm. They exist. They, I think they're probably, There's I hate to say it, there. There. There's a lot yeah. of them. And so, you know, a lot. you'd hope to think that a parent or parents would be interested in what Susan or Johnny was going through I suspect well I know it's stupid to deny it I know there are people who don't give a yeah you definitely can't say that on the no a flying (laughs) one no but they don't and so where where does that child go that child will retreat into what are my peers saying who with all due respect to them they are just as responsive to the pressures of um, the internet and social media Mm. as they are and they'll think that that's the right way to go and I just I fear. I fear for the messages that they're getting from massive, massive corporations like Instagram and Facebook allowing yes. allowing this body shaming to go on without any control form of control. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. exactly. It is a scary thought and I, I feel like it's still a very much a, it's a global crisis that Definitely. we're not taking seriously yet um we'll just keep fighting the fight i mean i'm launching a candle brand with affirmations on it to try and get people to feel like 
they're connecting with themselves again you know to affirm positively yep. the 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 positive messages yep. to themselves rather than just listening to what other people are saying to give themselves that time as much as you're an amazing person and I would talk to you all day, um, one of the reasons why we are also here is because you are a keynote speaker at Pro Manchester's Retail Lunch, which takes place on the 26th of April. Uh, the theme this year is The Perfect Storm. Mm. What can people expect from this event? I hope that people will hear opinions from people who, like myself, are, have been, are and have been what, in you it. you have an opinion? <laughs> No. Um, yes, of course I do. Um, but I also hoped, I hope that people will hear positive stuff as well, that it's not all doom and gloom, as they say, and how businesses in, in retail um, are reacting to this to be better, slicker, make the customer experience um, as good as it can possibly be. And that there is, I'm hoping that it will come out that there is light at the end of the tunnel. I'm not sure about that at the moment. I'm a glass half full person, as you might expect. But, and I, I think that things are a little bit grey and cloudy at the moment. But I hope from the lunch, that's the message that will come across. And some of the topics that they're looking to cover are things like Brexit, labour shortages, mm. the future of retail yeah. and the kind of diminishing aspect of the high street and the whole shopping experience in person, yeah. physically. So those are the things, aren't they, that people will... Yeah, ex yeah. exactly. And obviously me, as, a, as an e-commerce retailer, I, I will you know, have my view about shopping from home or on your phone or whatever. Um, and hopefully there'll be some bricks and mortar retailers there and we can uh, kind of argue it out amongst ourselves. <laughs> So in true Thinking Deeper style, I have some very quick fire round questions for you. Okay. Uh, so I'm just going to shoot straight out. Uh, dream mentor that you could have on speed dial. Oh, Lord. Um, uh, what's her name? Mary Portis. Mary Portis. Fabulous. Um, an audible or a podcast that you would recommend to somebody? Um, Jay Rayner's Out to Lunch. It's heaven. Is it? Yeah, it's, a bit of, it's half an hour of you time. It's brilliant and it's funny. And I'm meeting all kinds of people I never really had on my radar. Oh, fabulous. I'm going to look at that one. Yeah. Uh, a brain food that you would recommend? Um, smoked salmon or smoked fish. Really, try and get that into your, your diet. It's seriously good for you. Okay. Uh, most useful one-liner everyone should know? Believe yourself. Love that. Do you have a spirit animal? No, but I have a border terrier at home. <laughs> <laughs> um, an app that you can't live without? Um, Instagram. Wow. Sorry. Okay. I love it. It's better than telly. <laughs> <laughs> Worst piece of advice someone gave you? Oh, don't take that job. It's not for you. Uh, who was it? It was a man. Um, and it was, <laughs> I was offered a directorship in IBM. Wow. And I listened. Bigger wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you could be the girl that you were back then and she can see what you have now achieved, what would that girl be thinking at this precise moment? She would be really, I think, quite pleased with me that I show up and that I actually... I'm very proud of employing people. We're tiny. I give people... I give people wages and I think I give them good work to do. And I think that she'd be a bit peeved at me that I kind of, you know, didn't do some of the other stuff I should have done. But I think she'd be happy and she'd know that I'm happy 
in most aspects of my life, I'm actually happy. Love that. I can feel that. Mm. It's, you're not just saying it because no, no, it's no. good to I say am, or that happy. it's trendy to say. Um, thank you so Pleasure. much. Uh, thinking Deeper is all about nothing being a coincidence, everything for a reason. I believe you came into my life to teach me some life lessons. Okay. One being continue to believe in yourself. Yep. If you know you have something good, stick at it. Don't Absolutely. give up. So thank you. I pleasure. appreciate that. Thank, thank you for you having so me on. Much. It's a pleasure. Thanks. <laughs>